Last week, I was at a leadership gathering for churches um, that are that are part of an association called Next Generation Churches. So it's churches from Northern California and Nevada, and we do this once a year, and it's probably about 200 people coming together from all these different churches to to learn together, to be encouraged together, and and so one of the nights, and, and this happens sometimes, uh, because we planted this church about eight and a half years ago, sometimes someone else who's interested in planting a church will come and, and speak to me just uh, in a conversational way, and so this young man who lives in the Bay Area, he wants to plant a church, and he comes and talks to me. I say he's a young man. I think he was like 32. Uh, <laughs> I was like, he's a child. No, he's not. Uh, he's older than me than when we planted our church. Uh, so he's, he's just grilling me with all these questions. You know, how, how long have you been going? And how many people come on Sunday? And, and what is your budget like? And what are, the, what are the things that you do? And blah, blah, blah. And he's going on and on. All the, uh, what we would call the essential questions. And, and after talking with me for a while, he he looks at me across the table and his face is just like, how, how are you still going? Like, I mean, how, like, he literally said this, why haven't you ch- closed your church yet? <laughs> um, not the most encouraging conversation that I've ever had, uh, certainly not at this event, <laughs> but but I tried to be patient and understand what is he, what is he really asking me here? Um, and, and, and I think the root of what he was saying there was if, if you don't feel like you have enough people or enough money or enough resources or enough momentum or whatever you want to call it after close to nine years, how do you keep going? How do you continue? Why are you still doing this? Now, even in that kind of swallowing what he's saying there, it's like, wow, he just really broke it down to the, to the most uh, discouraging way you could ask that question. Um, and, and it made me realize, yeah, being, being a church planter, being a pastor is, is a difficult thing sometimes. Um, but, but what I try to remember in that question was, this is not just for church planners. It's not just for pastors. Anyone who's following Jesus is going to face difficulty. They're going to face these moments in their lives where they're saying, how am I still doing this? Why, why am I still doing this? Because, you know, it's also hard to be a stay-at-home parent. It's, it's, uh, it's hard to have grown children who you have a, <coughs> a strained relationship with. Where, where things are not as you had hoped for when they were younger. It's, it's hard to go through a divorce. It's hard to experience the death of someone that we love. It's hard to be single when we would like to not be single. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really just, you could, you could name so many things that as we follow Jesus, as we are his disciples and we're seeking to, to obey and grow and learn from him, there's going to be so many things that are hard and we say, why am I still doing this? Why do I continue to surrender my life to him when these difficult things are going on? Why haven't I given up on 
my marriage or my education or my friendships or, or my life of faithfully following Jesus. And, and the question just keeps coming back. How do we, how do we, in light of those hard things, how do we endure? How do we continue walking with Jesus when things are difficult? And the word that came to my mind was the word tenacious. Uh, I, I think that's a, that's a fun synonym for, for endurance, to be tenacious. I told Nancy when she got here today, I'm preaching on being tenacious, and you're not supposed to be here, but you're here because you're a tenacious person. You embody that, and I don't say that to embarrass you, but, but, but the idea of how do we be tenacious followers of Jesus? How do we be a tenacious, enduring, not giving up kind of a church, even in the midst of the hard things that we're experiencing? So I think these questions, they really get at the heart of this passage that we're looking at in the book of Acts, because we find here in Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul, he is in another city on his missionary journeys. He's experiencing more persecution as he shares the story of Jesus with more people, just as he's been called to do. And, and you can imagine Paul in this scenario saying, how how am I still going? How am I still doing this? Why am I still doing this? Because every place I go, the same thing keeps happening, and it's really, really difficult. So let's read Acts chapter 18. We're going to do verses 1 through 22. If you're on uh, using the Bibles in the back there, it's page 927. So Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in the vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. 
But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centre, I do not know how to say that word, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, thank you for your word. You've already spoken to us this morning, though we may not have sensed it. Uh, in a tangible way, but your living word has just been proclaimed to us. And for each of us, I know that we have difficult things that we are walking through. We have a desire to quit, to give up, to give in, and to stop. And I pray that through your word today, you would help us to endure, to be tenacious, to not give up to continue walking with you, Jesus, and doing the things that you've called us to do, to, to continue to declare and display your good news to each other and to our community and to the world around us. Help us to see through your word what you've called us to do, how much you love us, and that, that we would be committed to this mission and to this passion. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We see in this, this passage, we'll just break it down into three parts that we endure as tenacious followers of Jesus by being called, by being convinced, and by being committed. You, I hope you do remember these things. Sorry, Adam. <laughs> only, only as the Lord wants, right? So to, to endure uh, as tenacious followers of Jesus through being called, convinced, and committed. So we start with being called. Uh, in his book, Start With Why, uh, there's this business guy named Simon Sinek, and he says, very few people or companies or churches uh, can articulate why they do what they do. By why, I mean your purpose, cause, or belief. Why does your company exist? Why do you get out of bed every morning? And why should anyone care? People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Now, when we ask ourselves the question, how are you still going? Or when somebody asks you that question, we should, I think we should start with the same question. Not how, but why. Why are you still going? Why Am I doing this? And so when we think about that question in Acts chapter 18, we need to understand the why for Paul, and that is his calling. So 
So Paul leaves the Greek city of Athens and he travels 50 miles west to the city of Corinth. And at this time, Corinth is the largest city in Greece, probably about three quarters of a million people. It is the center of trade and commerce and business for uh, this whole region of the Greco-Roman empire. And so there are people there from all over the world. It's kind of a crossroads of, of transportation. And it also had quite a reputation uh, among the Greeks, the word translated to live like a Corinthian, uh, which I don't know how to say in Greek, but it meant to live immorally. So, so they had this phrase or this word that they would say, well, you're just living like a Corinthian, which meant you were, uh, you were a person who lived immorally. And, and you, I think you know that when a word is invented to, to describe other, what other people are doing, and they're like, you're living like somebody from there, and it's not great. It's not a great thing to be, to be called that. They had a reputation. And maybe for us, like, you know when you travel somewhere, this happened to me a couple times in the last few weeks, people say, where are you from? And you're like, I'm from Humboldt. And they're like, oh, uh-huh. yeah, I know where that is, Murder Mountain, right? They're like, come on, man. Like, that's it? That's all you got? Murder Mountain? Um, or other things. So, so that's that same sense, right? Like, oh, you're t- you live like a Corinthian. That means you're you're a little wild and crazy. And and so, despite its reputation, the city of Corinth, um, it was home to to many Jewish people who who continued in their worship of the God of Israel. And even as Paul comes into this city, he meets a husband and wife, Priscilla and Aquila. Who are, who are already followers of Jesus. They've been banished from the city of Rome because Emperor Claudius is saying that already, even within this short amount of time, the message of Christianity, the, people, the followers of Jesus are, are causing some disruption in the way that the Roman Empire wants the world to work. And so he's, he's pushed out those who are followers of Jesus from the city of Rome. So they end up in the city of Corinth and they give Paul a job. We're tent makers. You have experience doing that, so we'd like to have you work with us. And this provides Paul with some financial support for his own mission. He's supporting himself to continue on the mission uh, that God has called him to do. So as he always does, Paul begins his mission in Corinth by going to the Jews. He tries to show them Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to send a Messiah, a rescuer, a savior for his people. So so this is what Paul did every place that he went. And here in Corinth, the result is the same. Some of the Jews believe. They're convinced of his message. They see that Jesus is God's savior. And so they believe, but but as happens everywhere else too, some reject. And so they, they oppose Paul, they slander him, and, and that persecution and rejection continues. And Paul gets kicked out of the synagogue and he says, now I'm going to focus my mission on those who are Gentiles, who are not ethnically, culturally, religiously Jewish. I'm going I'm to take the message of of Jesus to them now. And where does he do this? I love this part. It's just a small little detail. 
but he sets up, they plant a church literally next door to the synagogue. Uh, you know like when you go, there's a street in Fortuna that has all these churches on it and they're all like right next to each other. It's kind of, I love that, that Paul is like, we'll just go right next door. Maybe people will get confused and walk in here and learn about Jesus. So, so along with, he's got the former leader of the synagogue who's Jewish, who's converted to following Jesus they have several people who joined their church and they have planted this multi-ethnic church right in the middle of this, this large, diverse city. So, so let's summarize so far. On his two missionary journeys up to this point, Paul has walked around 2,000 miles, which is a long way if you didn't know. Uh, he has sailed another 1,000 miles. He has been beaten several times. He's been stoned. He's had large rocks thrown at him. He has been arrested multiple times, accused, threatened, kicked out of basically every town he has been in. He's alienated from his native people, the Jews, because of his belief in Jesus. He has had relational conflict that led to a separation from his closest friend, Barnabas, who went on his first missionary journey with him. Now he's in this super immoral city that literally has temple prostitutes walking around offering to help people worship their god or goddess through sexual immorality. And to top it all off, he has to work a job to support himself so he can continue doing this. How are you still going? How are you still doing this? When we ask ourselves that question, as I imagine Paul asked himself as we follow Jesus, we have to start with why. Why am I doing this? And, and I think for Paul, what we see him do over and over again, though not, we don't see it specifically in this passage, but he does it in many other places, is he returns to his calling. Why is he even here in the first place? Why is he in Corinth? Why was he in Athens? Why is he traveling all this way? Because that's what God called him to do. We saw it back in Acts chapter 9 that, that Paul was this uh, Jewish religious leader. He violently opposed Christianity. He gave himself up to the elimination of Christianity, and yet he was radically converted on his way to persecute Christians. And he's called into Jesus' family, and he's sent out on Jesus' mission to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the Gentiles specifically, to those who are not Jewish. And, and later in Acts chapter 22, he's summarizing this calling. He says, the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So for Paul, the answer to his question, how are you still doing this? How are you still going? Is to ask himself, why am I doing this? It's because I'm I'm doing what God has called me to do. He so clearly gave me this mission that I'm to go do this. And that's what helps him to continue. And I think the same is true for us when we are struggling with our surroundings, with our circumstances, when we are discouraged, when we are feeling unmotivated, when we start to think maybe I'm not really cut out for this after all, we have to go back to our why. We have to go back to our calling. And we need to break this down into like real practical things. 
Why am I not going to sleep with my girlfriend before we are married? Why am I going to open up my home to other people in hospitality? Why am I going to give generously? Why am I going to serve other people who I don't even like sometimes? Why am I going to commit myself to a community with other followers of Jesus when oftentimes they will let me down? Why? Because we're called. We're called into this. No exceptions. If you're called to follow Jesus, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, for at one time you were darkness. You lived in the dark, but now you are light in the Lord. You've been called into the light, and he says, because you've been called, walk, live, conduct yourself as a child of light. Walk as children of light. Remember that you, each one of you who follow Jesus, you are called. That is your why. That's why you have a mission, because you have been called. So in order to endure in a life of following Jesus, of tenaciously following him, we must remember that we are called. And next, we have to be convinced. Now, last week, uh, our friend Levi, he preached, and I really loved having him here. Uh, he, was, he was originally supposed to preach on this passage, and uh, he instead decided to preach from a different passage in Psalm 32. And I'm actually glad and I told him this because I really wanted to preach on this passage. When we were working on the calendar and trying to sort out dates and how things would line up, I was like, man, I don't get to preach on Acts 18. I love this passage. Why do I love this passage so much? And it's really because of these two verses, verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, what is going on here in this moment? I think it's safe to say that even as Paul is working with other Christians, he's seeing people meeting Jesus. There's, there's been conversion. There's, a church has been planted. I think it's safe to say that he's feeling discouraged. He's tired. He's worn out. He's in a city that's hostile to his message. He's probably just counting down the days until he's going to get kicked out again, right? Because that's what always happens. He's trying to lead people that have come from all kinds of crazy backgrounds. I mean, if, if you want to really feel this, read 1 Corinthians because he's addressing, he's writing a letter a few years later back to this church and the, the, the things that are happening within their church community like blow your mind. Like, how is someone sleeping with their stepmother within this church community? Like, that's the kind of thing that he's dealing with. So he's working with these people right now and trying to figure out, okay, I'm doing this. I'm trying to teach these people about Jesus, how to walk as children of light. So even though Paul knows that he is called to be on this mission, he has no doubt about what his mission is I think it's safe to say that his heart is weary 
and run down. And so what he needs is to be convinced of his calling. He needs to be renewed in his passion for his mission. And I, th- I think that he expresses this in the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. He, he reflects back, when I first came to you, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. When I came to you, when I planted this church, when I first got into town, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. Now, what does God do in response to his weakness and his fear and his trembling? Going back to verses 9 and 10, you can just break it down simply. God says, tells him five things. Don't be afraid. Keep on doing what you're doing. I am with you. I will take care of you, and you are here for a reason. God gives him comfort. God gives him direction. He gives him reassurance. He gives him a promise, and he gives him a purpose. Now, we know Paul as a a person. He is incredibly intelligent. He is He is driven. He is ambitious. He is what we would call a high-level leader. Honestly, he's probably the only person in the world who could be doing what he is doing at this moment in history. He was uniquely suited for the role that God placed him in, and still he says, I came in weakness and fear and trepidation, hesitation, trembling. Now, do you ever look at other people around you? Maybe it's people in our church community or people that you work with or people that you admire and you think, if I could have this or that or if I was more like them in this area, um, if I was married maybe to this specific person or a person like that, or if I was more gifted, or if it didn't have this, uh, this thing in my past that's really holding me back, or if I, didn't, if I didn't just always do this kind of thing when I get stressed out, then I wouldn't feel weak, and I wouldn't feel afraid. I would feel like I could do something for, for Jesus, I could take bigger risks. He could use me to do something great. He would be proud of me if only I had those things or was more like this. Do you see what's what's happening here with Paul? Even if you were every one of those things, if every box that you can imagine was checked, you would still struggle with weakness and fear. You would still feel inadequate. You would still wonder, am I enough? Am I doing enough? This was really brought home to me when I was at the same leadership gathering where this this guy who wants to plant a church asks me, why haven't you closed your church yet? On the same day, a pastor who, has, who planted a church around 25 years ago down in Sacramento, a church that's like over 3,000 people. So every, and he said this, every ambition I had, every wildest dream, everything I could have hoped for and so much more happen, has happened with our church plant. 
But what he did was he got up and shared the deep struggles that he's had to feel the same things that I feel or that you feel. To say, I have had all those things and it's still really hard. I've struggled with this, this, and this. Now here is our big takeaway, I think, from these two verses and probably from this whole passage. That, that God is, he is not calling us to be perfect in our performance. He is calling us to be convinced. What is the difference between being perfect and being convinced? When we strive for perfection, what does that lead to in us? Stress, fear, anxiety, uh, being overwhelmed, anger, irritability, comparison, unhealthy patterns and coping mechanisms, and shame. But when we are convinced of something, we live with an inner conviction. We might call it passion. What is the fire that fuels the engine or what drives the engine? Another quote from Simon Sinek, he says, working hard for something we do not care about is called stress. Working hard for something we love is called passion. Now, when you are convinced that God loves you, that he is proud of you, that he's in your corner, that he's sustaining you, that he's providing for you, you can face anything, anything. And when you are struggling... He doesn't look down and say, well, I wasted my time with that one to give them this, this, and this. Was not efficient. No, God is not worried about our efficiency. He comforts us. Look what he does with Paul. He could say, Paul, I've done everything for you. I didn't even have to call you in the first place. You were killing people that followed me. This is not about efficiency. God loves Paul and he loves you. And so when you are struggling, he comforts you. He reminds you of his love and his care. He convinces you. He calls you back into a life of endurance and tenacity and to not giving up. Now on that that young man, when he asked me, how are you still going? Why haven't you closed your church yet? These are the verses that I responded to him with. I think I am still going. We are still going. Because in Eureka, in Humboldt County, there are many people who belong to Jesus and they just don't know it yet. So my mission, our mission together is to declare and display the good news of Jesus through the things that we say, the things that we do until those people do know 
That is conviction. It's not perfection, that's for sure. But it's conviction. And so when we have that, we can face anything. So in order to endure, to be tenacious followers of Jesus, we need to be called, we need to be convinced, and finally, we need to be committed. Now, after Paul receives this encouragement from God, he commits himself. The next verse says that he stayed for a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And, and what a way to condense 18 months of time into one verse to say he was convinced of his calling and he committed, recommitted himself to living that calling out with that passion to, to keep being on his mission. And he continues to experience opposition. Uh, he gets brought before the leadership of the city Uh, He's accused of trying to lead people to disobey or to subvert the Roman government, the way of life. And and you can imagine Paul is thinking, what happened to the vision that happened in the night? Like, here I am again in front of these people and there's a whole mob of, of angry Jews and other people around me that want me in trouble. Like, this might be it. But what happens? God's promise holds true. No one will attack you to harm you, God told him in his vision. And and incredibly, Paul doesn't even say anything. He was about to open his mouth to defend himself, and the the person in charge who's listening to the accusation just basically says, Yeah, I don't have time for this. This is your own deal. I don't even I don't even have time to listen. So just leave. And the person who gets beat up is the new leader of the synagogue who, who was probably leading the charge. And we don't know why he got beat up. There's, there's, there's some conjecture that the Jewish community there was so upset about what happened and the way that it was handled that they just beat up their own guy. Uh, that's some, some real political uh, violence there. So, so whatever, whatever the motivation was, whatever happened... It's not Paul who gets beat up or attacked or harmed. It's, it's someone else, probably for the first time in his life. And he's going, whoa, I didn't think that was going to happen. Here, here I see God's word is true. His promise is true. And so he continues to stay there to teach people about Jesus. He's making disciples. He's raising up leaders. He's sharing his life together with them. And after this period of time, it's time for Paul to leave He remains committed to Jesus' mission to to continue spreading the message of Jesus around the world. And so in verse 18, he takes leave of the brothers and sisters. He sets sail. He takes Priscilla and Aquila with him, and we'll learn more about them next week. He goes into the city of Ephesus. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila there to begin ministry, and he goes back to Jerusalem, to the church there, and finally to Antioch, which is the church that sent him out on both of his missionary journeys. And all of this, I think, points us to following Jesus with endurance. It means that we commit ourselves to the calling that he has convinced us of. It's sort of like putting weight on the rope like okay you I'm you've called me and I'm convinced of that and now I'm just going to lean into that I'm going to put all my weight on it Daniel's laughing at me 
I'm using an unplanned rope analogy. Uh, <laughs> but really, it's just, it's, it's putting feet to our passion, right? It's just doing something. If you say you're passionate about something and you don't do it, can you say that you're passionate about it? Like, oh, I love eating sushi. I hate sushi, actually, but um, I don't know why I said that. But just, like, it would be like me saying, I love sushi. And I'm like, hey, let's go to, no, nah, let's, let's do something else. <laughs> like, you, wouldn't, you can't say you're passionate about something if you're not living it out. And that's, that's what it's like to follow Jesus, is to say, I'm convinced of this calling. He's given me a mission. He's given me the passion to do it. And I'm going to live it out. It's every day faithfulness. It's expressed through obedience and through service and mostly unglamorous things, probably routine things that we do over and over again. So let's finish by coming back to our original question, but with a little bit of a twist. How will you, not how are you still going, but how will you keep going? How will you continue? How will you endure? How will you be a tenacious follower of Jesus. And just a few things for us as we finish up here is that we need to surround ourselves with a tenacious church community who will remind us of our identity in Jesus. It's really hard to endure alone. Even Paul, as much as he can, he surrounds himself with people who can help him to endure. He did not like to be on mission alone. So commit yourself to a community who will, you can be tenacious together. We need to read God's word tenaciously, even when we're like, I don't understand what Job is about sometimes. Like, be tenacious in your pursuit of God through his word, through prayer. Like, receive the word of comfort and encouragement from God's word that he's going to continue to call you to endure through his word. We can endure through, through giving and serving and participating, even when you don't feel adequate or motivated. Don't, don't isolate yourself when you feel weak, when you are discouraged. But again, lean in to that community. Put your weight on the rope. Remember that your weakness and your fear does not prevent you from being used in both incredible and ordinary ways by God. And ultimately, if you take nothing else, remember that you are deeply, deeply loved by God. He sent his son, Jesus, for you because he loves you. Receive his care. Receive his love for you. And in that love and that care, you can be weak and still be strong. You can take risks. You can even fall flat on your face, but you will never be abandoned. You can be afraid and still walk in courage and boldness. You can be a minority. You can be sort of on the margins uh, within even your own community around you, but you will always have a home in Jesus. You'll always have a home with Jesus so that in Christ you can endure. You can be tenacious because you have, we have a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's a living 
hope. So do not give up. Encourage each other to endure. Say, let's be tenacious together. Let's, let's pray tenaciously for hope together on Wednesday night. Let's remind ourselves, who is Jesus? What has he done for us? Incredible. Let's, let's follow him together. Let's pray. Father, you're so kind to us that you would reach down into a little church in Eureka and you would, you would not only call us into a mission, but you would convince us that we can give ourselves to you through your comfort, through your encouragement, through the strength that we receive from you and through ultimately looking to your son Jesus who's done what we could not do, that he endured what we could not endure so that now we can follow you in endurance. We all need this message, this hope today and would you give us this conviction to be a tenacious church who will look around and say, there are still people here who need to know the love of Jesus. So we need to tell them. We need to show them. Would you give us that deep conviction so that we could face anything and walking together in endurance? We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.